Welcome back to Careers Explained. This week, we're talking with Dr. Michelle Higgins about her career path and current role as an optometrist at Insight Eye Care. Welcome, Dr. Higgins. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Heidi. Can you start by giving us an overview of the major stepping stones on your career path getting to your current role? So I guess it all started when I was in high school trying to figure out what I wanted to do and trying to navigate the healthcare world, the medical field. I just knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what. And so I just started looking at different careers. And um, that's how it all started is just starting to talk to people who practiced in the medical field to see what they did and if they liked it, which I found fascinating because I couldn't believe how many people were like, no, I don't like what I do. And I was like, well, why are you still doing it? But, you know, when you're in high school, you think the world is easy to change and it's a, and it's not as easy as you think. So, yeah. So um, when you started with those conversations, what did you, you found some people didn't like their job. What interested you in following optometry? I guess because I started seeing an optometrist as a child, um, and it's interesting because not everybody does. If their parents don't take them, they don't go, um, I've discovered. But, um, and I just remember thinking that I liked my optometrist. He seemed to enjoy what he did and he seemed to be pretty happy. So I just started asking him more questions and I actually volunteered in his office, kind of job shadow. I would just go in and sit and watch. And he would introduce me and say, is it okay if she just observes? And uh, and I just remember thinking like, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then as you were shadowing him, what were the questions that you were asking to see if it interested you? Mostly if he was happy, um, which is kind of, crazy to think back like how did I know to that that was important back then you know for me at least um but he did seem to enjoy talking with people and you kind of have well I guess you don't have to be a people person but it helps um I definitely met some people in school who weren't people people and I was like I don't know how this is going to work out for you <laughs> um, good luck and, <laughs> yeah, everybody's everybody's different though because there's a lot of different ways in which you can practice. So I'm in a private practice which is just me and it's, you know, one-on-one -on -one with a patient, but you can be in a commercial setting where it's all about seeing as many people as possible and so it's really not about getting to know the individual. It's more about just churning out exams. So there's just different ways of doing things. Yeah. I would love to dive into that more in a second, but mm -hmm. first, can you explain the in-between of once you decided, okay, my optometrist likes his role, seems pretty cool, I mm -hmm. want to do that. What steps did you take to then get into this role? So you have to go to undergrad, um, so undergrad degree, and then while I was an undergrad, you start looking at, you know, what exactly you want to do. So for optometry, there is an optometry entrance exam like the LSAT and the MCAT. Um, it's called the OAT. And so I took that, I believe my junior or senior, probably my junior year of college. I don't even remember. 
so that kind of, you know, I don't, it's kind of like the equivalent to the SAT in that it just kind of ranks you where you are. And the questions are science-based questions. You know, it's a lot of um, biology, some physics, and I definitely did not score well. Um, I'm not a good test taker at all. So that's an undergrad. And then the then you start applying and then there's usually an interview, an in-person interview. So you really, you know, you don't want to apply to too many schools because then you're crisscrossing everywhere. But and it's interesting because I think I applied to three or four schools. And um, once I visited them, I kind of you either like it or you don't. And the settings are definitely different. I mean, so like I'm from Ohio. So Ohio State is on a very large college campus. Their clinic is mm, a lot of research-based. So it's a different kind of, it's the same education, but it's a different focus. And so, you, you know, before even getting into school, you need to decide like, am I going to be a researcher or am I going to be like out in a private practice, like all of those things, like you don't really know until you get down into it and you do have to kind of figure it out because you can, I mean, you can go to a research school, but still be in a private practice. It's just the focus is a little different. So for yeah. you, how did you narrow down when you're deciding schools, big research institution versus one more tuned to patient care? How yeah. did you figure that out? I knew I didn't want to do research. I didn't want to be in a lab. I didn't want to write lab reports. You know, in undergrad, my undergrad degrees in zoology. So <laughs> I had labs where I had to do experiments and then write lab reports. And I just was like, this is not, not what I want to do. Um, so, you know, making the final decision has a little bit to do with cost and location. I went to school in Chicago at Illinois College of Optometry. Um, and the reason I selected them was because of their clinical, um, their clinic is in the South side of Chicago. So they're serving a patient base that needs care. And you, I saw a lot, like you see a lot, unfortunately the location and the clientele are, um, not healthy. And so you see a lot. So I selected that because I, I wanted to see as much as I could while I was in school because you it's really hard to think about where you're going to live after that. I mean, really the world is so big, you know? So big. <laughs> yeah. And then can you give an overview of that program? So you get in how many years of school at the College of Optometry? So it's a four-year program. Um, so your first two years are pretty much class-based. You're in class, you have labs, um, I think the second year we did start in the clinic, but it was more like in the optical, like helping patients select glasses, that kind of thing, learning how to fix glasses, that kind of thing. And then third year is half class, half clinical. So you're seeing patients and clinical is, it's, it's clinical in the school, at the school's clinic. And you're seeing patients like you're a doctor, but you ask, you also have a professor who is um, overseeing everything you do. So you do an exam, you present your findings, they go in, they double check all your work. So an eye exam literally takes like two hours. It's crazy. That would be year three was all clinical at the school. 
And no, no, year three was half clinic, half class. And then year four was external rotation. So every three months you had a different rotation. Um, so there's pediatrics, uh, it's called low vision, which is basically like people who are losing sight and you're working with them to figure out how to enhance their activities of daily living, cornea and contact lens, and then um, disease. So ocular disease. So I picked my rotations based on location <laughs> and you're not guaranteed. It's kind of like matching. So you put in what your, what your, like your top, I don't remember top, however many locations. Um, and then there's somebody whose job is to match you up with them. And I lucked out and got my top four. Um, Which were the ones you just mentioned? Well, it was, I spent summer rotation. So my very first summer. So, oh, in optometry school, second, you get your first summer off. So it's four years between year one and two, you're off. After that, it's full-time year round. So my fourth year, my rotation was um, Anchorage, Alaska in the summer. And that was my cornea and contact lens. So, and you just that was fascinating in itself. One, because of location patients there are there for a day. They flew in for doctor's appointments. They're flying back out to wherever they live. It was crazy. I like, I didn't know, like you could practice that way, but you had to like, you'd be like, I need you to come back next week. And they're like, I'm not coming back next week. I'm not coming back for like two months. And you're like, what? <laughs> so about an obstacle in the patient care, like you got to work with that kind of schedule trying to yeah. deliver treatment. Yeah, yeah you got to figure it all out fast because they're not coming back. They can't, like they're just there to load up on whatever they needed and do all their doctor's appointments and then they're gone. So that was fascinating. Obviously there was people who lived in Anchorage, but we had a lot of people who were just flying in and flying out. Different type That's of care. You wanted to see it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I learned a lot. It was a very large practice. It was a private practice, but it was large. It was like five doctors and then two um, externs are called externs who, you know, are student clinicians. And um, that was a very busy practice. It was crazy, um, but that was cool. Um, and then after that, I went to Ames, Iowa and did an ocular disease rotation at a large ophthalmology group. So ophthalmology and optometry should work in symmetry. Some states they're weird, um, but they should work in symmetry and the optometrists refer to an ophthalmologist when a patient needs any sort of surgical intervention like cataract surgery or any other surgery. So um, it was great to work there because I got to watch a lot of surgeries um, and also see how patients are treated it was interesting. The doctors there were a little blunt to some of the patients who had like severe vision things. And I was like, why are you being blunt? Like, <laughs> so how did maybe improve some patient care in your own? Yeah. 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 I mean, all the while you're like, you don't realize you're learning the, that stuff. You're just thinking about the clinical side, but you're seeing a lot of, I would never do that. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. Like that kind of thing. So that was great. And, and and I think that's why this system is set up that way. One, to try different specialties 
to master different specialties, but also to see how other people practice. Mm-hmm. So and choose what you want to apply to your own. Yeah. So then my next rotation was pediatrics and low vision. And that was back in Chicago um, for pediatrics. I was at the clinic full-time at our school doing pediatrics, but I also had um, at the University of Chicago, we did an infant clinic there. That was that was hard. It's a lot of shaken babies. So people coming in because they think their baby's not seeing and you have to help them figure out what happened. That was hard. Yeah, that was not fun. <laughs> Instead of just doing eye exams on little kids and being all like playful, that was hard because you're in a hospital setting and it's just tough. High so. stakes and potentially sad results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that was, again, great learning experience. So, um, and then spring was White River Junction, Vermont. VA hospital lived in the hospital and saw patients in the eye care clinic. And that was fascinating. <laughs> Living in the hospital. And what was the specialty of that area? I guess it would be primary care, but also a fair amount of disease. I would say primary care because you're what was interesting about being in a VA setting Um is that you have access to the records from the entire hospital. So if you have a diabetic and you ask them what their blood sugar is and they say they don't know, you can actually pull up their labs. That doesn't happen in the real world. So that was really amazing to see all of that. Integrated Um, medicine that you can use to. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. Um, The patients were great. And, but also there were so many other like, um, specialties in the hospital who were still learning themselves so we were all kind of like learning from each other mm-hmm. so that's a good great. environment for someone trying to figure out what they want surrounded mm-hmm. by a bunch of other people doing the same yeah yeah so after you tried all four of those rotations which before I ask is it common to move locations so drastically throughout your training is that something people should expect you can you cannot do that Like there were people in my class who were married and had kids and did everything in one location. They didn't move. So yeah, yeah. Just like I wanted to travel the country with my rotation. Some people were like, I can't, I have children, you know. Everybody wins. So you can have, you can customize it to whether or not you want to go different places or stay in one. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's so many more opportunities now because, you know, the, the key to a good clinical rotation is seeing a lot of patients. You don't want to be somewhere and not be seeing patients because you're not learning and then you graduate and then you're uncomfortable. So um, like I, I had a woman approach me at my private practice, probably four or five years into my private practice and say, would you mind if I came and did a rotation at your office? And I was like, I would love to, but I do not have the patient base that you need to get a good education because that was such a new practice. You know, I, I know from experience, you really want to see a ton of patients and I couldn't guarantee that. So I didn't want to set her up for, I mean, she was from Maine and she thought it would be convenient. Yes, it would, but it just wasn't going to work. So when you talk about that quantity of patients needed for training, 
in your rotations, what was kind of the average amount of patients you saw in a given day? Um, it varied because especially with the pediatric ones, you weren't seeing a ton because they were very time consuming. Um, but, um, I feel like in Alaska, I was seeing like 15 to 20 a day, which felt like a lot, but I think that's average. I'm not sure. <laughs> Everybody's so different. The of it is a lot of different patients and that number every day, as you said, you're learning a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And it also depends on support staff. You know, if you have a huge support staff, you're able to see that many. But if you don't, you really can't unless you start to lose. I mean, yeah, it would Definitely. be a little crazy. So. so after you finish your rotations, what were the factors in determining which you wanted to go into? Let's see. I graduated and I decided I wanted to stay in Chicago. So I didn't want to stay there forever, but I knew I wanted to live in the city a little bit longer. I was in my twenties. I wasn't done. Right. Kind of, <laughs> you kind of want to keep going. So, um, so I, I got a job. This is where it gets kind of interesting. So I had two part-time jobs. So I was working at two different practices. One was like a commercial high-end boutique, um, in Chicago. And another was a private practice that had two locations in the suburbs. So it was very different. One being a high-end boutique, people were coming in and they just wanted to buy really expensive glasses. And I would just give them an eye exam so that they could do that. Um, and then the other one was, you know, private practice, which is everything. You're seeing little kids, you're seeing adults, you're doing contacts, you're referring out for surgeries, you're doing diabetic eye care. So it's is all of that. So in, in the city, it was young, healthy people. <laughs> and then in the suburbs, it was all all ages. You had the best of both worlds. You were seeing the two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, you don't realize how educational it was because you're living it. Right. But looking back, I'm like, that was a good mix. At, at the time I was frustrated. I just wanted a good job. And instead I had to do a lot of driving and sitting traffic and, you know, all of that, but whatever to pay the bills, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and then I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and again, was working, <laughs> multiple part-time jobs and I could not find a full-time. Um, so I just had a couple part-time and there I actually did something that I didn't even know existed when I was in school was nursing home care. So it was a company who had, who employed optometrist, podiatrist, and dentists, and they would have contracts with all these nursing homes and you would get a list of patients, you would drive there and you would do a remote exam on site for these patients and then leave. So for optometry, obviously with podiatry, optometry, and dentistry, the focus was health. You know, um, these were people that might have other health issues and your job is to make sure that there's not something that needs to be addressed. So my focus was always like, you know, is there something we can do to make your life better? You know, get the cataract surgery to make your life better or treat your diabetic eye, eye issue so we can help you see better. Um, so that was interesting because that was hard. That was hard work. We're schlepping all my equipment. It was crazy. 
commuting, but not just to work once and, and then back, but between every single patient. Yeah. Well, usually once you got to the nursing home, they would set you up in a, it was always in like the hair salon. So you would just have like stuff. Every, like, yeah. It was weird. Mixing the eye care with the hair care. And between those first kind of three roles that you've mentioned with kind of more bulk patient care, looking for high-end glasses compared to the private practice in the nursing home, what did you find that you liked and didn't like between those roles? How did that guide your next steps? I think that's when I realized I do want to do private practice. I don't want to, I don't want to be in a commercial setting where it's about selling glasses. I just want to sit and talk to people. And I don't consider myself an extrovert. I definitely think I'm an introvert, but for some reason in my exam room, I'm very comfortable and I can look people in the eye and have very lengthy conversations with them about their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that's kind of what I was drawn to was the whole patient care, you know, catching up with them with their families and stuff like that. So, so that's when I realized like, yeah, I mean, doing all of those steps made me a better private practice practitioner for sure. Yeah. What were some of the lessons that you learned with your experience on how to be a better practitioner? Definitely listening, listening to what they're not telling you. And this is, I think this is a lesson everybody needs. I say this all the time. Everyone should take at least one psychology class. It's really all you need. It will apply to everything. Um, and when people are kind of very upset for no reason, you got to start to wonder what else is happening here. Like if their level of frustration or, you know, just what they're saying doesn't match up with what you're seeing, then you got to start to figure out what else is happening. And it's, you know, some would say maybe it's not my place for that, but I I think that people just want to be heard. And if you just say, okay, I hear what's going on here, but this doesn't make sense. So what else is happening with you? And then they're always like, and then the floodgates. Um, And I will say when I started working full time in a private practice, I used to joke with the other doctor that it wasn't fair that we couldn't bill for the counseling services that we were providing because something about that closed door, people would unload their life. And you're like, I don't even know what to do with this stuff. hundred <laughs> percent. I was just thinking that is counseling mm-hmm. and optometry at the same time. Yeah. One bill. So if you can't afford it. <laughs> one, maybe <laughs> you can't afford both. Maybe you just go to the eye doctor and you'll. Uh, well, as long as they listen, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Gotta go to, go to Dr. Higgins. And so now can you give kind of an overview description of what you do? So now um, I opened my own practice in 2009. I did have a partner when I opened, but after about two years, she decided it wasn't for her and she left. So now it's just me. And um, so it's a little bit of being a business person, which I have zero training for. Um, I would say that's my number one complaint. And I know it's different now, but in optometry school, it's very focused on clinical care and it's not focused on the business of optometry. And there's a lot of private practices just learning on the fly. And that's essentially what I've done. 
So before I opened, I did sign up with a consulting, they were called the Williams Group. I think they're still around and they're optometry specific business consultants. And they really helped with all of the things I did not know. Mm -hmm. So it was very expensive, but it was very worth it because I really learned a lot about managing staff, which I still don't think I'm very good at, (laughs) but I'm good at taking care of my patients. And then I try and take care of everybody else, but it's, it's just, it's a lot of balls in the air. You know, you have to learn how to suddenly be a bookkeeper and, you know, um, you're still seeing patients and then you still have to devote time to the business stuff, which I didn't even know what it was. So yeah, I mean, now my day today is um, Thursdays are my non-patient day. So I see patients Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm exhausted by Wednesday night. Thursday is my non-patient day. It's my day to get caught up on everything. So, you know, doing the QuickBooks and, um, you know, bill paying and letters of referral. You know, I refer patients out who need other services. So um, just a lot of like the administrative stuff. Business side Um, of things get done on Thursday. Yeah. And it drives me nuts because people say, what are you going to do on your day off? And I'm like, it's not a day. It's a one patient day. (laughs) There's still plenty to do. (laughs) Work never stops. And then for someone who doesn't know what an optometrist is, can Mm -hmm. you give a brief description? So optometrists can diagnose and treat eye diseases. They prescribe eyeglasses. They can do um, vision therapy, which a lot of people don't know what vision therapy is. It just depends on where you grew up and if you were exposed. but vision therapy and vision rehab is um, something that I find fascinating, but I just don't have the time right now to incorporate it into my practice um, where it's traumatic brain injury, stroke rehab, um, binocular vision problems, meaning the eyes are not working together. And so there's different things you can do to train the eyes and the brain. So that kind of stuff is super exciting. Um, neurooptometry I love and I try and make an effort to go to this conference every year and just learn a bunch even though I don't necessarily apply it day to day it's just really helpful to understand especially in this world of concussions um yeah so a lot of concussions a lot of kids with concussions and yeah there's a lot to learn there so I'm just learning about that now. And it is a fascinating world. And you can have, again, such an impact in all those different verticals of mm-hmm. things to do. Mm-hmm. And so can you describe kind of what a typical day or week is like for you? Typical day, get into the office and pretty much just hit the ground running, just constant patient care. I like my mornings to be very heavy in patient care because I'm a morning person and I would much rather be overwhelmed in the morning. So it's just patient care all day, Um, different age groups. That's kind of the joy of it is each patient is different. Um, You know, you might have a 96 year old and then you might have a six year old and you're just, you kind of have to treat everybody as they are. So um, yeah. It gets a little exhausting, but it's fun. Each patient, everybody's different. And that's why I love what I do because each person is presenting with something. You know, some days everybody's normal, like healthy, no problems, no complaints. That's easy. That's fun. 
that's rare, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. You know, sometimes it's contact lens heavy. Everybody wears contacts. Some days nobody wears contacts and it's a lot of diabetics who, you know, have different things going on. So it's just every single patient is different. So every day is different. Every hour is different, which is fun. Keeps it interesting with that patient care all day. Can you give depth on the number of patients you're seeing for how long each patient? Is there a standard? And then kind of what you're doing in the room when you have a patient, what are you doing? So we schedule in 30 minute slots. We've discussed about 20 minute slots, but I think I would lose my mind. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Um, and generally I spend the first five minutes. It's, I think it's um, a little disarming to some people that I spend the first five minutes just chit-chatting. Like they're just there and they're just like ready to just like shove their face in my machines. And I'm like, nah, like, so what brings you in? Like, what have you been doing? Like, what's, you know, and they're always like, but I think um, it helps them feel a little bit more relaxed. And also like, I mean, if I just said, put your face in there, which is better one or two. And you, okay. See you later. Like, that's not fun for me. Right. So, um, so yeah, I spend like the first five minutes just chit-chatting and then start doing different testing and depending on what they're in for that dictates what you need to do. Um, so not everybody is exactly the same, but a, you know, an, an annual eye exam, there's just certain things you do do, but different ages are different. You know, kids, kids aren't going to sit very long. So you have to be very fast at what you're doing and maybe not do exactly everything you did on a 90 year old, but you have to get the information as fast as possible. So, um, so yeah, in the, we have different machines that help us gather information. And then we do what's called a refraction, which is the, which is better one or two eye chart that everyone knows about. Um, and then the health of the eye is more important to me than anything, because if your eye is not healthy, then what are we doing? You know? So um, the eye health part is super important. And so you mentioned kind of you like the diversity in terms of patients really getting to engage and build those relationships and some challenges of just the pace can be a bit grueling. Are there any other things that you enjoy or find challenging about the role you want to highlight? I like that I don't necessarily have to give bad news. Um, there's always somebody so unfortunately, um, over the years, you have patients where you see things that you think, oh my gosh, I didn't think I would ever see this. But the role of an optometrist, I think, uh, I think some of my colleagues would argue they can do it all, but I, I, there is a place for me to not <laughs> do everything. So um, one of the nice things is I don't necessarily have to break bad news to people. I can explain exactly what I'm seeing and what I suspect, but we need to send you out to a specialist in that specific field, like whether it be, you know, um, the eye is broken into different parts. So there's anterior seg, which is front of the eye and posterior seg, back of the eye. So you have to get them into the specialist for that who can confirm your findings and then establish any sort of uh, treatment plan. So I like that I don't have to always be the bearer of bad news. I might have to say, you know, this doesn't look good. This is what I'm seeing, but let's get it checked out. 
Yeah. That's a great point that I had never thought about. It's not fun to deliver bad news. So. And when I was in um, one of my rotations, my ocular disease rotation in Ames, Iowa at the ophthalmology group, I, there was a retina specialist there who was very blunt with his patients. And I was always struck by, he would deliver this blow to people and then get up and walk out the room. And it was up to his nurse to console the patient. And I would always be standing there like, what do I do? I just witnessed this. I don't even like, it was, he would just be like, yep. Yeah. looks like what we thought it was going to be. Yeah. No, there's no treatment for it. All right. Take care. We'll see you in six months. And, you know, and he'd walk out the room and I'm like, you just told them there's no treatment for like, what? (laughs) It was fascinating. I was like, I get it. Like surgeons are great at what they do. Not necessarily chair side manner is great. So, um, So you have the chair side manner and you don't have to necessarily deliver the blow about no treatment. True. And also, especially in this area, we have a lot of ophthalmologists that I can choose to refer to. And I've over the years figured out there are certain people who treat your patients with respect and there are other people who don't. And I always ask my patients when they come back after I've sent them out, how was it? Did you like the doctor? How were you treated? And you know, some will say, I don't want to say, and I go, no, you have to tell me like, this is, this is what we do here. Like we, we take care of you. And, you know, some have told me about some unfortunate experiences and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Not going to use that doctor anymore. Like that's not how people should be treated. So, you know, I just, people, especially when it comes to like healthcare, if there's something going on, they're scared. And it's unfortunate that sometimes practices are so busy that they forget to acknowledge the human component in it. And I mean, we're all human. Like just, just look them in the eye for a second and just say, it's going to be okay. We'll figure this out. You know, like that can go a long way. 100%, especially when someone's scared and you're the doctor in the room who they look to for that matters even more. Yeah. That patient care, someone that they can trust who can console them. And do you have advice for someone who hears all those touching stories and finds it interesting and wants to follow your path? I think reach out to any optometrist. And I mean, even in my office, I've hosted a couple, actually one girl. um, So I've hosted, like, they'll call up and say, you know, for school, we have to do a job shadow. And you can tell if they're interested or not. Usually it's, I have to do a job, like they don't care. And you're like, fine, come in and just watch, you know, and if they don't ask questions, you can tell they're not interested. But I did have a girl a couple of years ago from um, who came in job shadowed. She's now an optometrist. I feel like it was like last year that she was job shadowing and now she's an optometrist, which was be eight years (laughs) through the cycle warp double time. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, reach out. I mean, that's the best thing you can do is just sit and watch what somebody does and ask questions because I mean, it's funny how many people just like, don't know. That's why I think this is great what you're doing because people hear a title, but they don't know what that is. Yeah. At all. And that's why so grateful to have you on. That's great advice of actually talk to people, get it, ask more questions and really understand whether or not it would be a good fit and how to yeah. follow your path. So yeah. Thank and you. even just watching like a private practice, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go into a private practice. 
there are so many different modes. So yeah, there's a lot to learn. Do the job shadows before you do the rotation in grad school. See yeah. what the options are. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. This was awesome to talk and learn about your path and your current role. Thank you. I appreciate you, Heidi. Mm-hmm. <laughs>